are listening to Masks Off with host and life coach Kim Gross. My goal is to help people to go from people pleasing and perfectionism to powerful. I help you to uncover these patterns, own your shit, and remove these masks to live a more empowered life using my five step power pathway that takes you from people pleaser and perfectionist to powerful. Let's drop into this week's episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Masks Off. I am Kim Gross and so happy to be here with you again. And I have my friend and guest for the third time. Third time to have so excited. So excited for our conversation. But before we jump in, I will begin with a quote as I usually do. And the quote is one of Deb's favorite quotes. So she says, or the quote is to be nobody, but myself in a world, which is doing its best night and day to make me somebody else means to fight the hardest battle any human can fight and never stop fighting. E.E. Cummings. What does that mean to you? I had to read it twice and I was like, oh, so good. What does that quote bring up for you? And why is that one of your faves? Well, I think it sums up my life's work, really. You know, it sums up not just the work that I do with other people, but it sums up my own personal journey because I feel like that's what we are all dealing with is carrying the burden that everybody wants us to be a certain way. They, the, you know, conditioning says we need to be a certain way and just being able to get, uh, like to take all of that off and to not feel like we have to be so confined by that and then really find ourselves. It seems like something that just you know, people will throw around the word, like, just be authentic, just be yourself. And it's like, what? Wait a second. If I could, I would, you know, <laughs> I've been working really hard to do that for my whole life. You know what I mean? So I it feels, yeah, it feels like, um, it's so easy to say that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people think they are authentic because maybe they just like say what they think or, they think they're authentic because they, you know, do a certain thing really authentically, but there's a really big difference to just keep removing the layers and the masks and all that stuff over and over and over again to get to that, like the core of like who we are at our essence. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to even know it. Like how would we possibly know for sure? Because I know I keep finding another place. Oh, look at that little like sneaky way that that showed up just then. I love that you said that. And that's going to be perfect for our conversation because Mm -hmm. we are going to talk about our paradise. And I think, will we know forever at that pinnacle? I don't know. I think there will always be another layer, another nuance, another level, but you and I have been doing a ton of work and we can start to see more of the paradise. And we're going to jump into that shortly. And we're also going to talk about where we were compared Mm -hmm. to where we are. But before we get into all of that, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in your own words. And you just said it's been your life's work. What is your life's work? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, so um, for a long, long time, I've called myself a self-love and, and empowerment coach for women. But I'm recently claiming a new a new title, which is <laughs> Midlife Awakening Guide. And as you know, and maybe others do know this because of my last time I was on here is that I'm the founder of the whole soul way. And it has been a hard thing for me to describe, you know, that, you know, this is something that I, I talked to you about helping me to describe it, but, you know, I will say in a nutshell that the whole soul way really is a unique offering to women where I teach people a step-by-step and repeatable process Mm. to do all of this unhooking from social pressures and expectations that we put on ourselves and that others put on us and the fears and the defense mechanisms and the masks so that we can really reveal who we truly are, but then also feel safe enough to show up that way in the world. Right. And then 
you know, it's like, well, is that enough? Well, so for me, that's enough. But for a lot of people, it's like, ultimately that paradise that we get to is the place where we, we do feel like we can show up more fully where we are present in our relationships and where we ultimately get the emotional, emotional intimacy that I think most of us are longing for between others, but within ourself. So yeah, I think there are huge rewards that we get from this. And I'm glad we're talking about this today because I feel like is so rarely do we get a chance to just claim we're always talking about the problems and the pain. We don't get a talk, chance to talk about that, but I will say one other thing about me, which is that I also yes. have two amazing children who yes. are uh, over on the East coast near you. Um, and they are both in college. And I think that's another thing we can claim is like, we've, you know, raised children who are doing well in the world and things, you know, and that I'm married to my husband, of, you know, 21 years and it was rocky and hard. And, but I'm finally able to claim like with confidence, like, I think we've made it. Like, I think we're doing great. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. always hard. I'm always like, I don't know if I want to say that my marriage is great because <laughs> I, I, you never know what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> Just in case. Knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood for you. Exactly. People who are listening, not seeing. Exactly. Yes, I know. Cause we're always afraid, right? Like that's part of being raised in a dysfunctional codependent family is always having that fear. And I think just in the trauma of life in and of itself, that there's always this fear that the shoe is going to drop that saying that the shoe is going to drop the bomb is going. So it's when things start to go well for us, it's, and Brene Brown talks about this a lot is she calls it foreboding joy. Oh yeah. Right. She writes about that in so many of her books. And when I read that, like I get the goosebumps because I can identify with, Oh, I'm almost too afraid to allow in the joy, the good that's going on in my life. So we, and on top of it, we are hardwired for that negativity bias. We are hardwired to look for the danger around the corner. Therefore, now in modern times, it's all the problems. It's my kids aren't this, you know, I got 20 pounds that I have to lose and, you know, can't pay the bills and whatever things that we focus on that are the negative, we're wired for that. So for anyone who is listening, if you do focus on the pain, if you do focus on the negative, not to beat yourself up for that, because that's how we are wired. Yeah, it is how we're wired. But I think that you and I would probably both agree that to some degree that shifts as we, you know, as we do more of this work, we're not being run by yes. as many of those tapes that are on autopilot, just kind of like speaking to us, telling us to, you know, beware, watch out. This is going to, no, no, you can't trust them. I think we do, we do have the ability yes. to create new grooves in our brain that actually do orient more toward, I guess, like optimism and hope and faith and believing that this actually could be good. Like, oh my gosh. I remember when I would do, when I would coach like say I was coaching around parenting or something. I was always like a little cringy about it. I'm like, I have no idea. Like, you know, what if my kids turn out not great or something like that? And I'm telling you like what your next steps are going to be to, to take in your life. And so I feel some relief these days. I'm like, okay, well, my kids seem to be doing okay. So yeah. Whew. If I yeah. give a little bit of advice on parenting, maybe it might actually not damage their, their children. You know, it's because- yeah. Yes. Now I, yeah, it's hard to own it. Like it's hard sometimes to own that. Like things can be going great. You can actually, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I also feel like we bond oftentimes women in particular, but bond over pain. We bond over that. Like, you know, you go out and people are like telling you all the litany of the things that aren't going well. And I'm like, but I've got some really good things. Can I share those? And then it's like, no, because that would be like bragging or, you know, what, who are you to think your life is so great? And, ah, uh, and that's so, I have so many directions I want to go in I'm like, I know. Oh, all over the place, but that's okay. That's we'll get there. Well, I just want to say one comment about that. 
So I used to feel that way as well. And this was a part of my prison is that I was felt that um, being timid around other women who were talking about their problems and their pain. And I would feel like I, even when I was a teenager, even when I was little and young, I can remember having this sense that I should not shine my light around them because, and this is part of being an empath. This is part of being the people pleaser. This was a part of my prison because if I say when I was in school, high school, I got really good grades, you know, played sports, was the captain of the team, all that stuff, all those accolades. And some of my friends, and they would say, oh, your life is so great. You know, you're both, and, and they would go on about their misery and I would downplay it. Now, nah, like, it's no big deal. Like, nah, you know, I mean, no, nah, I got that one C or whatever the case is. So I learned that if I wanted to both, fit in. It wasn't belonging. It was fitting in that dim my light. I know. Just breathe on yes. that. Can you identify with that? So much, so much. And I, I used to think that it was me that was, you know, that I had this problem, but I've talked to so many women who have gotten that message and, and then we like perpetuate it with each other, right? We perpetuate it we started, we, we create like a culture that you have to self-deprecate and that you don't want to ever make another person feel bad. So yeah. you somehow like, well, I'm going to dumb myself down, dim my light, whatever it may be so that I don't upset you. You don't feel hurt. It's amazing to me how pervasive that is. Imagine if we didn't do that. Like imagine like what lights we would all be if we were allowed to be beacon you're allowed to just be like ah thank you yes like you know my life is great and I am and you know there's also another piece to it too which is why do we always go into this binary of it like or is that right binary yeah, yeah. Like, why isn't it why is it that because you get good grades and some parts of your life really are shining that you it's like it's like, there's a way that we are, it's your either you're happy and everything's going well, or you're sad and everything's bad instead of honoring the wholeness of us as humans, right? Like I'll bet you in that time, there was a long list of things that you could be, you wished you oh could have been proud, but a list of things you could have wished you could have been proud of. And a list of things that you were like in pain over. Totally. I had both. But you weren't honored. You couldn't be honored for all of who you were because like, if you think about it, it's like, you couldn't be excited about the great things because then they're going to misperceive. You're going to be misunderstood, but that's not all of your life. But if you also go in and just start talking about all the negative things and you miss out on this awesome chance to be able to sitting, to sit in your blessings and your, and your brilliance. Yes. It's amazing. I, right? I get it. And I just want to like call this out right now, because you and I have talked about this a little bit. And this is what's different about our friendship. So by the way, people, Deb and I are friends. We've been friends for a while now, and we have been cultivating what, and I think you share the same sentiment because you've said it to me, but we are cultivating a different type of relationship where we are showing up, first of all, where we can share both those things. When we're in pain, or we're vulnerable, we share it. When we're doing well and we're celebrating, we share it. Like you just shared a message with me that you have 14, 16 people signed up. And like, I'm so excited for you. I cannot wait for your webinar. And like, it's so exciting. And so we can celebrate one another. We are cultivating a relationship where we're being honest as best as we we can, uh, being you know, being honest, we are showing up fully. We um, what else? Call out if there's something that you know we. Uh, first of all, nothing has really got us both upset, but we just are honest and authentic and real and vulnerable with each other, and we call ourselves out. That's the vulnerable piece. Like you'll call yourself out. I'll call myself out and say. Like this, and in relationships in the past and friendships in the past, I wouldn't have done that 
because I had to wear the perfection mask. I had to people please. So that I I'm calling this out and underlining this because that's what's possible when you do the work. That's what's freaking possible. The prison was when I would show up in relationships and acquiesce and please and feel like I had to perfect, couldn't be myself, had to be who I thought other people wanted me to be and then walk away from going to lunch or dinner with a friend and feeling like, that sucked. (laughs) That was so unfulfilling. (laughs) What the, you know, heck. Whereas now when you can show up fully with another good, bad, and indifferent, just like you were saying a few minutes ago, the pain and the positive and be received that way and be able to go, it's so enriching, so fulfilling, right? And you've been working on this in your life as well. Absolutely. Yes. Like I would say I have very similar experiences with female relationships. And I think that, um, well, let me just say a couple things about us. I think yes to everything you said. And I think that also we even, we also call each other in meaning like if one of us isn't maybe being as authentic or something, or one of us has gotten quiet. Yes. Yes. That would be something that's a pattern too, right? Is to go in and believe we had to deal with stuff all by ourselves because that's our pattern is like, well, there's nobody really there for me. So I just have to process this by myself. And so calling ourselves, calling each other in and, um, and also really intentionally creating space for our wholeness. So intentionally inviting like, and, and also not, and paying attention to the ways that you could easily um exploit another person but i don't mean that in like a the an extreme way but like if a lot of times i think in friendships if you have a people pleaser friend you can kind of just like be like well it's kind of nice that they do that for me right right instead of being like wait a second wait a second i think you're doing something that might not be totally true to you are you sure and inviting and saying like i don't want to be in a relationship with someone who is is people pleasing because i want your whole Mm -hmm. self i want your whole truth and um, and I will say something that to me, I used to feel like in friendships that, um, well, they were, it was exhausting oftentimes because of that pretending of, of that performative aspect of it. And I would feel even physically like physical tension in my face and my forehead of like the ways that I was efforting and, you know, and I know for me, so much of it was, and it became more clear to me that it was fear. I think it's almost everything we do, right? It, it's yeah. rooted in fear. But it got more and more clear that I was actually afraid. I could remember, you know, as I was healing some of this feeling like I'd be with women and be afraid of what were they going to say if I said something wrong? What are they going to do? Are they going to, you know, ostracize me? Are they going to say something that I'm going to then feel embarrassed about or humiliated by? So better to just stay safe and just say the thing that I know is going to be the polite thing and the don't rock the boat thing and and all of that. Yeah. Oh, and it was so, it's so hard. And and I just want you to say, and I think you would agree with me on this because you've shared things with me that even though you and I are consciously and intentionally doing this, but I think both of us are being more of that in all of our friendships, you know, like showing up more fully being willing to take the consequence of someone being disappointed on us or disapproving of us, having that inner strength to be able to handle that. Completely. And I totally agree with you. And I think that we are able to do that with each other and with other relationships, because I don't think I know like all the work that we've been doing. So we have to really call that out too. Like we can talk about what the paradise is, but we both had our prison and we just named one of them, right? Not being able to be who we truly are, not speaking up, don't rock the boat. All of those things is a prison, but we have done a shit ton of work on ourselves. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about when I was talking about the negativity bias. And you said, that 
I believe that, you know, now we can override it. And yes, we can, because we do this inner work, whether it's, it is meditation, mindfulness, going in and healing our inner child, integrating our shadows, whatever the work is, the somatic work, the therapy, the this, the that, all of that are tools and skills and ways to override that old primitive brain so that you can create your own inner safety. As you just said, the fear is the root of it all. So we have to learn how to create our own inner safety to be able to show up more fully in the world. Right. Because what we're usually doing, and we don't even know we do it, it's like we have to get to this place where we start to see like I'll I'll say this that I think oftentimes we just all just do what we do right until we know better we just do what we do we we oh we react and then we're like oh why did I do that oh and then we feel embarrassed by it and then we kind of move on from it or whatever we might even apologize or something like that or we we shrink in that friendship and then we come home and we feel kind of crappy but then we maybe do a little self-care. Maybe we, you know, we watch a TV show and the next day we woke up, we wake up with fresh eyes and we're like, oh, I'm okay. But we're never really going in and actually uh, excavating what's really happening. And that's because I think we don't even know that there are these separate pieces of us that are kind of running our lives, you know, an inner child piece. And then we have a protector piece. This is the part that's our ego that's in there mucking with us. That's that primitive brain. And then we also have though available to us, this adult parts. And I think we often think we have no choice, but to be whatever that inner protector says, whatever our fear says, Oh, jump, jump. Oh, that is like, it's like a fact. That person is scary. That person did attack me. That we just believe it all as facts. I feel scared. Believe it. I feel sad. Believe it. Like, instead of being like, wait a second, is it possible I'm misinterpreting this situation? Is it possible that I'm taking this personally because of my past? Is it possible that, you know, um, I'm hurting because I never healed my inner child, you know? So to me, it is that place of like us going in and starting to say, Hey, 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 you, that, that voice in there. Thank you for trying to protect me all these years, but I don't want to live my life always having to worry about safety and 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 she that part of us that part or he always is looking for safety outside i want that person to make me safe i want this situation to make me safe and like the idea of cultivating inner safety is almost foreign to people and yet both of us that's what we've been doing cultivating inner safety sourcing it in here as hard as that seems it's actually way easier than the living the way that we were living which was exhausting and stressful and like a freaking merry-go-round repeating the same crap every day over and over again. And you just, so you just named another prison and another paradise really is that when you can come from that place of being able to create your own inner safety and you can come from that place where you can pause and say, oh, you know what? I don't have to listen to that voice. That's freaking freedom. Freaking freedom. That is freedom. <laughs> right? Totally. And and really, this is like what you and I both do similarly in our programs. You have the whole soul way and I do it in the bicep power pathway because people are just, as you said, they're just reacting and thinking this is how it's always been in the past. And so- we are living out patterns rather than living a life. Yep. Yep. And we see everybody else around us doing it too. So we actually yes. think it's normal. Yes. Right? Yeah. We just think it's normal because that's what, that's what, doesn't that what you do? Yeah. No, actually that's not the only option. Yeah. It's, and, and I want to call out something that I think that you and I both share is that, I mean, anybody who's doing this work is that the way to also get closer to our paradise is through changing the way we do things too. So we can't just be by doing it all in our head. That's part of it. We can't just be even doing it all in our body. It's not just nervous system regulation. It's actually getting out into the world and making those micro shifts 
you know, saying the thing that you were afraid to say, but you did it anyway. And you realize, oh my gosh, like I always say, like, I didn't die because your nervous system, your, your, you know, your amygdala, your um, fear brain is like, it's amazing how our fear brain connects, right? Like if I speak up, I'm going to die. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And you're like, yeah, actually, I'm, when I think from here, I'm like, I think I'm probably not going to die, but at <laughs> some level, I actually am like, if I do that brave thing, I'm going to die. And we have to convince ourselves over and over again, like, oh, I spoke up that I didn't die. In fact, I created more closeness. In fact, my friend and I had this great conversation. I never would have had it. And I not just shared how I really felt, or, you know, maybe it's like, I didn't, I didn't actually lose it on my kid that time. And it turned out that I found out that my kid had a much more insightful approach to this than I ever would have known if I had just reacted to them the way that I used to do. So it's like, you have to actually start to change the behaviors, not just change the wiring, not just change the nervous system, not just change your, you know, do the healing, but we have to be brave, right? We have to be brave and and speak up and And if, or not, or not exactly. And if we weren't being brave, neither one of us would have gone on TikTok neither one of us would have started our programs and then neither one of us would be able to have an impact on other people even if it is only one person out there who listens to your tiktok which we know there's not just there's way more than one and you've taken many people through the whole soul way program already and will continue to but if we didn't do that if we didn't show up in the way that we are, and actually you're the one who has called me out on this before, right? Like it's imagine then the people that were not being able to impact. If I never started masks off and if no, you know, this, I feel what we're saying right here today, this conversation even if it just only impacts one person will be amazing. But I think we're having an amazing conversation right now and can have huge impact. If we weren't brave and we didn't show up and and take the action to be here and do this, we wouldn't be able to have that impact. Or, you know, even another area where with my kids, I am brave and I show up and I own my shit with them. My mother, when I was growing up, would never say she was sorry, would never admit that she said something or did something that was hurtful. I never heard that. And it was, I grew up feeling like I was wrong or bad because she would repeatedly tell me, whereas I then did something different with my two children who are now 23 and 20. And I've started this like seven years ago when I started doing the conscious parenting and said, I was able to pause and say, when they would call me out or be a mirror for me, I was able to take the action and show up and be different. Like, you know what? Hey, I hear you. Ah, yep. I see that. I see that pattern. Yep. You're right. And I, and I'm sorry. You know, that's a huge shift. And so the paradise is that I have a really good bond with my kids. I have a really good relationship with them. Yes. Oh, that is a good one. And I don't know why, but I feel compelled to just say something here about this, which is um, just to highlight a couple of things. The first one I want to highlight is that it's never too late because I think a lot of parents think that if I didn't do it in zero to seven, or if I didn't do it when they were little, then I don't have any hope. And I say, Mm-mm. like, I know a grandmother who had grandchildren. And then when she had the grandchildren, she wanted to, she saw, she wanted to be different with her grandchildren. And so then she realized all the things that she wished she had did, done with her um, children yeah. and went back and did active repair on the relationship and change the way she showed up. So that's one thing. But the other thing I think that's really important to talk about here about, about parenting and our relationships with our children. I I feel like, I feel I share some of the same things as you of just like the way that I wanted to, I guess, parent differently, you know, is that, um, I think there's like a, a myth 
and I, 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 I don't want to be, um, like I say this with the greatest love, but I think sometimes it's almost like a way that we don't, we avoid taking responsibility for our lives, mm. um, is that if I didn't get that type of parenting, then I can't, how could I possibly parent my children in another way? Because I didn't, I, I don't know what it's like. I have no role model. I hear that a lot. Like, oh, I have no role model for mm. a healthy relationship with my children because I didn't have that. And I think that there are so many examples. You and I are just two of so many examples of people who defy that. Yeah. We defied it. You can learn it, learn it right here in this conversation, learn it through reading parenting books, learn it through trusting your intuition, because I really believe most of the ways that we were parented were actually away from and against what a, a, a like a mother's intuition would be, you know, like, you know, let your kid cry it out or, you know, and I'm not even judging people for what they're doing, but there's so much that goes against I have, anyone who's let their kid cry it out knows what it feels like. I, I think everyone could say it does not feel normal to have your kid in another room crying while you're in the other room crying. That does not feel normal. Like, <laughs> right. And, but we do a lot of things that we're told to do right. And our parents yeah. were in that time when all those doctors were coming out with like expert advice and telling them what to do. And they thought they were following the best advice. Yeah. but they weren't. And we ended up hurt from it, but we are changing those. You know, we, we're cycle breakers. There are a lot of people yeah. out there that call them cycle breakers. People are saying we're not going to keep doing it that way anymore. So I just wanted to call out for you that like, I'm sure that having, you know, been raised the way that you were, it wasn't always easy for you to interrupt those patterns. And it was something that required a lot of intentionality and mindfulness and the inner work to be able to breathe yeah, and to not take their feedback as an attack and to feel criticized and to go into shame and to go into playing small and then attacking back because you don't have any other skills. You basically had a whole bunch of tools in your tool belt. You're like, cause that's what most people have is, is a couple of tools like, um, attack, yeah. get quiet, you know, um, put on a mask, whatever. We have yeah. like a few, we have some tools in our tool belt and they're almost never helpful tools if you want to build greater connection and have better relationships. Now you have a whole bunch of tools. Like you have, oh, I have pause. Imagine that. I have checking in. Oh, look at that. I've got another tool. You know, I have breath. Yeah. I have, I'll be back in a little while because I'm going to go soothe myself. I have acknowledging the other person in front of me, you know, I, we have all these tools that we didn't have. So it's like, you know, you start out when you do this inner work and you start out with this like tiny little toolbox with like five tools that are mostly weapons, a little toy one, right? A little toy one with a bunch of things that will hurt people, right? Yeah. Like I have a hammer yep, and I've got a drill <laughs> saw maybe <laughs> and I've got a saw and whatever happens, I'm going to defend myself. Right. And then all of a sudden you now have this toolbox that has things in it that are like, you know, maybe like, um, little rags that are nice and soft, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, maybe it's something that holds things, you know, you've got all these other things that are available to you. And we didn't have those things in the beginning. And anyone who starts this, when they're in that pain place, they're usually in pain because, of a whole bunch of things. And one of them is that they don't have enough tools in their tool belt. I totally agree. Oh my God. I love that visual. And that is also another part of paradise is being able to have a toolbox that works. Right. And that helps like having all those things, being able to pause and being able, because you're right. Like I used to do that with my kids at one point, they would say something to me and I would feel so attacked. This was like, maybe Ryan was like 13 and Angela was 10. So they're like just about at that age and you can't really control them anymore. And everything you used to do no longer works, you know? And all of a sudden I'm feeling like wounded and hurt. And, oh my God, how dare you? And then I would hear my mother. Right. And so it was like, oh, oh my gosh. But that's, so that was the prison because it didn't feel good to me. I didn't, it didn't feel good at all. I hated the way that I was showing up with my kids more than anything. I hated it. I did not want to repeat the pattern 
are patterns that my mother imparted on me, you know, and I know my mom did the best that she could. My mom's passed and this isn't about putting her down or any of that stuff, but I didn't want to be like that. I hated it. So I just wanted to start like finding a new toolbox. Like I wanted a toolbox that was going to work. And now, so 13, my son's 23, 10 years later, while nothing is ever perfect because we're not going for perfection, but it's a whole lot better. And that paradise where I am right now with not only do they share a lot with me, but we can have conflict. And here's another, this was another prison, right? Especially for women, people, pleasers to avoid conflict at all costs. I mean, I would not, some of the things that you and I even talked about in our friendship, since we, I wouldn't have done it before. I would have just been quiet or let it pass. So I would never have given you feedback on the things you were writing because like, who am I to give you feedback kind of thing. So these are all new behaviors and this is all part of like the paradise. So I just really want to underscore and highlight that one of the biggest things is being able to have more meaningful connections. And I know that that's such a big, big part of your work, your desire, and what you help people with in the whole soul way. So do you want to talk about this really deep connection that you're wanting, like an emotionally deep connection with others? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I feel like one of the places where it was hardest for me to create the relationships that I wanted was it was in adult relationships. It's not that I didn't struggle with things with my children. I certainly did, but I, um, I was highly committed to doing, you know, to doing the work, to learn these skills. And I definitely tended toward being a little more patient with my kids than I was other adults in my life. So with women, I felt like I was lacking in the female friendship department because I was never willing to really speak my truth. I, I withheld, I, I tried to be the person who was always accepting, always flexible, always the one that did whatever you wanted. And I don't even have opinions and needs. And I'm the one that also has it all together. And you're the one that has the problems and I will give you advice and I will help you, you know, and I like to keep a little distance and you know, and, and by the way, most everything we're talking about, you don't have to connect it back to certain incidences from childhood, but for the most part, everything that we're playing out today is like a repeat of something that happened in the past. And we're trying to repeat it. Like it's a Freudian thing called repetition compulsion, which is actually try to repeat it over and over again. Your psyche wants to metabolize it, wants to get unhooked from it. So it keeps on repeating these things over and over again. And not, not like, oh, you created these situations. It's almost like the way you perceive situations is with that lens. And you get a chance to keep on, you know, looking at these things over and over again. And I had been bullied in a pretty severe way in high school. And I got to tell you, like, I think that, you know, I, I was afraid of women. I was afraid of groups of women in particular, but I was afraid of women. And, um, and my mom also modeled for me, uh, uh, those kinds of relationships where my mom was always the one that had it all together and she gave advice and she yeah. was the one that was the good listener and all that. Yeah. So, um, for sure I lacked the intimacy in my female friendships and it's required a lot of bravery and the ability, the willingness, like both of you, both of us talk about the willingness to, to the kind of like get a little more naked, to tell you when I'm not, like, I practically don't even always even see the ways that I have problems. Sometimes I have to be like, I am struggling with this thing. Why don't I just send a message to Kim, tell her I'm struggling. Like why it's like, I, I'm so automatically just turning to myself, like to be like, oh, well, I'm going to ruminate over this. I'm just going to sit with this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's one side of the coin. That was my people pleaser side. But then I had the other side of the coin, which was in my, my relationship with my husband. And in that side, I was much more, gosh, I really was lacking in truly lacking in my tool belt in a different way there, because there I was the person who came out with lashing out. I was much more like aggressive. I 
if my husband said something to upset me, I didn't even think about just reacting with whatever feelings, thoughts, or, you know, whatever were there. Like I would be like, you know, why did you say that? What are you doing? You know, like what I was a person who was more like aggressive in that way. And, um, and I had very little patience for Mm. him. I was critical. I carried contempt. There was so much in there and it just didn't even seem like I had any other way. Like I felt like I, because again, it goes back to, I can track it back to childhood of, I didn't want any man to walk all over me, to take advantage of me, to think that he could control me. And so I came in with like any attempt, it was like, I'm the, I'm going to be like ferocious, you know, I'm, and um, so my, as a, as a consequence, my husband never felt safe with me, you know, maybe the first couple of years, but as we were in the relationship longer, after we had kids, after I was impatient and judgmental, you're not parenting the right way, blah, 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 all these things, like he didn't feel safe with me. So he stopped opening up to me. Mm. And he became the person that I was in my female friendships. The one that would say the thing just to make me happy. The one that would be flexible, even if he didn't feel flexible. You know, he had harbored resentment against me and I had resentment toward him in different ways. So I hated that. I hated not having emotionally connected relationships. I was longing for it all the time, but I, you know, truth is I always blamed him for it. I'm like, you know, he's the one, he, he doesn't know how to connect and he doesn't this and he's the problem and he's not romantic and he doesn't take care of me and yada, yada, yada. And so to, to kind of bring that to the whole soul way, I feel like that's part of, part of the work was for me to realize that all of those were just strategies. They're all coping mechanisms. They're all ways that I, I, I didn't know how to handle the situation. And so that's all I had available were those tools. Yep. And then I think that, um, you know, being vulnerable in those situations was really scary. You know, it was really scary. There was like at a core level, it was like a a fear of being vulnerable. But I think that ultimately the, the main message that's really gotten me to my paradise there is realizing that it was always my inner child. It was always these young parts of me. And I was wishing my husband would give me what I wanted as a child. I wanted him to fulfill those unmet childhood needs. And, you know, it's kind of one of the hardest things to learn, right? And the saddest things is to grieve that there's no knight in shining Mm -hmm. armor. And that, you know, when when you talk about um, secure parenting, you know, secure parenting comes from parents who give their children, you know, enough attunement, right? And I like to say enough attunement that they didn't have to abandon themselves. Like they, mm-hmm. it's like more about, it's like somewhat about the connection with the other person, but a lot of it is that they never had to con- disconnect from themselves and yes. become oriented toward making other people, you know, comfortable, happy, whatever. And we wish that someone could do that for us. But what I think both of us have learned is that the sad thing is you didn't get it as a kid and you're probably not going to get it in, as an adult until you go back and reparent yourself. Yeah and fulfill your own unmet childhood needs. And that's a hard one, right? It's a, it's a hard one because you want the paradise. You're in the pain, but you are pissed off that the way to get there is that you have to give up the fantasy that someone else is going to save you and give you all of that. And you have to take a leap of faith. Like you have to jump off the cliff and be like, fine. Okay, fine. And then you're like, you get caught by yourself and you're like, oh, oh my God, I was there for me all, all along. And then, and then you can fly and soar to your paradise, but you have to take the leap of faith and be like, oh, okay. And the other problem is no one teaches it really. I don't think in, in the way that like really, really teaches you how to be there for yourself. And I kind of feel like that's what we do in the whole soul way is like teaches yeah. the so sort of like the real, like lot, like the nuances of how to really do that. Mm. By the way, I think that's what you help people do. That's part of your language box is you help people to create safety for themselves or to be there for themselves. That's part of it too. And you're right. Um, I think that more and more 
coaches, healers will begin to do that or are starting to do that. And hopefully that whole paradigm will begin to shift so that the generations to come will have that kind of uh, attunement and attachment. Dr. Gabor Mate talks about that all the time. I just was listening to him do an interview with Dr. Shafali and they were talking about just that, like, you don't have to let the baby cry it out. Like, don't let the baby cry it out. Pick the baby up. Yeah. And don't let our own inner baby cry it out. Yes. Yes. Right. Because that's the thing is that because many of us did get you know, we, we did get put into the nursery, which they still do, by the way, put into the nursery, isolated in a little plastic thing, you know, and, um, crying with a bunch of other crying babies, you know, but we can go back and we can actually repair that with ourselves, just like we can repair in current relationships, like with your child, with my child, whatever we can repair with our inner children and we can go back and, and we can redo it. So, yeah. And I think you're right there. There's so, there's so many more people talking about it. And I don't know if you know this, did you know that I went to Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry training program? Mm, I think I did. Yeah. I think okay. I did. Yeah. yeah. And, and I learned a lot of this from him, but I feel like there are a lot of people. It's easy to talk about that. We should be doing inner child work. We should be reparenting that we should unhook from the ego's grips, but man, it's hard and it's hard to articulate yeah. it. I mean, it requires so many little nuances and everybody has their own way that they, um, experience their inner child. Some people yeah. they're like inner child. That's just weird. And some people right, like right away gravitate to the idea that they have an inner child and, you know, so, so we have to use language that works for different people. Yeah. Right. And I tell you all the time that I love doing Tara Brock's rain meditation because she names, I mean, I just love her anyway. She's like, she just could be the best mom in the world. She's just so compassionate and gentle, but the way she, her language for the inner child is she just says that wounded part, that vulnerable part of you, which is still AKA the inner child. That's the part that's hurting. So um, I agree. There are different ways to, to label it for people. Um, But this, yeah, this is the work that you and I do is to help people with this because it, it is hard, as you just said a few moments ago, that people are in their pain. They want the paradise, but they don't either A, know how to get there. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to get there because I didn't for the longest time. No, I, I had no idea. It was just like one foot in front of the other. And then different things kept presenting themselves different steps but still I was like in the dark like how am I ever going to get out of this prison totally right so either a and then we'll just we can wrap up with this to say that a people either don't know how or b if they kind of have an idea how it's so hard it's so hard to do it alone right and so that's why like there are coaches that's why you and I do what we do. And if it's not you, or it's not me, a therapist or a friend or a group, I'm always saying like, it's so hard to do it alone. It's the same with trying to like, if you're, you know, the reason why 12 step programs are so one of the reasons they're so successful is because they do it in community. You know, when someone goes into AA for the very first time, they're encouraged to do like, I don't know, maybe if I get this wrong, 90 meetings in 90 days, like a meeting every day or, and to find a sponsor as soon as possible, because they know how difficult and hard it is to stop drinking alone. So it's the same thing with this. If you, so I'll I'll end by saying that if you are struggling and you are wanting to get from your prison to your paradise, that Deb and I are both here, you know, we can show you, guide you or find anyone that can help you to get there because it is possible. Right. And the paradise is, there's so much freedom. So much freedom. And, and I just want to say, like, I, I do think though, the one caveat I would say is that they, that people, when they do find somebody, they find someone who is 
um, walking their talk. I mean, not necessarily like we don't have to be the enlightened being, but yes. they're walking their talk. And that I think that people who do inner child parts work, reparenting, yes. shadow stuff like that, bring it in because um, I just, I just think that if it's not there, we, we miss a huge piece of it. And both of us have been like, if you think about when we started doing this, like things were slower then. Now there's so much more awareness of it that a person where it might've taken me, I started th this work say like um, 12, 13 years ago, it took me probably 10 years to accumulate the knowledge that now I teach people. And I can't yeah. believe in 15 weeks, people are like, having things happen to them that it took me the 10 years to get to. And I joke around all the time that I think I'm just a slow learner, but I think it's actually because we have, uh, there's so much more awareness of how to do this. Yes. People aren't in the dark. Like we were kind of fumbling in the dark, trying to find our way yes. and like, Oh, what, the next bit of wisdom. Mm. And that's why I think people working with someone like you with your five steps and me with the whole soul way that people get a chance to go, wait, there's actually a path. Yeah. There's actually like, there, there are actually things you can do. Actual oh, steps. five steps. Like mm -hmm. if I use those five steps every day yeah. with everything that comes up, I can actually free myself. Holy smokes. Right. So yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. So that being said for anyone who is listening right now and they're like, Oh, I just really feel drawn to Deb Blum. I love her energy. How would they find you? I think the best way to find me is to go to my website, which is thewholesoulway.com. And then from there, you know, you could find me, my social media, Kim and I are both on TikTok <laughs> and it's a fun place. You know, it's a great place to get to know both of us in a way that is like so low effort. And then yeah. um, if you're on my website and you want to get on my email list, I think that's probably the best way to stay in touch because it's consistent. Awesome. Well, I am really excited and glad that we did this again today. Me too. Such Me a too. good conversation and so important for sure. So thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's always awesome. You're welcome. So thank you everybody for joining in another episode of Masks Off. I'm Kim Gross. And if you like this content, I would love if you subscribe, you can like or comment. And I will see you next time on another episode of Masks Off. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to take the next step to overcoming your people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies, reach out to me at kimgrosscoaching.com for a free discovery call. Also, if you liked what you heard today, I would love it if you subscribed or left a review. And remember, remove your masks and create the life that you desire.